Uh, well, I'm really glad that you all could join us today. Um, I love Advent. It's one of my favorite seasons. As you can see today marks the beginning of Advent. It's the four weeks that leads up to Christmas. And it's the season in the Christian calendar where we practice on, you know, waiting for God to show up. And so that word Advent, it just means coming or visitation. And so as the Northern Hemisphere here, as we head toward the winter solstice, and we know the world gets literally darker by the day. I mean, it's dark when I wake up now and I feel so weird. It divides us the season, I think, to take this collective journey um, into metaphorical darkness. And so what we'll do is we'll sit in that space for the next few weeks as we practice waiting for the coming light, the birth of Jesus, the hope that we have for God's continued presence coming and breaking into our lives. So for the last three years, I've personally used a book called All Creation Waits by Gail Boss. I don't know if you can quite see this. It's a really beautiful book. I think it's actually, she actually has like a gift version available now. It's got these like cool pictures in it that somebody's done of all these different animals. Um, and what it does is it tells the stories of different animals and how they hunker down during the winter, waiting for the spring and the warm weather to come back. And so each devotional has two or three page story that's part of it. And so the author a couple of years ago gave me permission to make an audio recording of the book. So I just contacted her out of the blue and said, hey, you don't know me. I don't know if I don't want to hurt any royalties you get, but I'd love to make a meditation podcast around this. And so I added some prayers and some different things around um, the audio reading. She gave me blanket permission um, to do that. And so what we're going to do is we're going to re-release those podcasts each day of Advent this year, starting on Tuesday, hopefully, if Apple gets that out. They're already available, I think, on the website. Um, Robin can confirm that. I think that's what she had said earlier. But it's it's really beautiful. I invite you to tune into that. Gail Boss, who is the author, it just so happened she lived in Michigan. I didn't know that when I contacted her. And so she is going to drive over to be with us in person in Ann Arbor next week um, from her home in Grand Rapids. And so she is going to be sharing as our guest preacher. She's going to talk a little bit more about what inspired her to write the book and just what it is about Advent that she finds compelling. So it's it's tradition in this season to tell the story of Jesus's slightly older cousin, John the Baptist, because John came to help prepare people for what they were waiting for uh, 2000 years ago, which was the birth of a Messiah. And so this morning, we're going to start by looking at the first part of John's story, and then we'll continue the rest of that later in December. And that story begins like this. Again, I like to use once upon a time, not to indicate that this is a fairy tale, but because it kind of like triggers our Western brains into story mode. Once upon a time, during the reign of King Herod, there was a priest whose name was Zechariah, and his wife was called Elizabeth. And we're told that Zechariah and Elizabeth lived honorably and that they enjoyed a clear conscience before God. They didn't have any children, and it says that they were, quote unquote, very old, although I'm not sure exactly what very old means in this context. It might just mean um, beyond childbearing years, which I mean, as I'm rapidly approaching that, I'm like, I'm not sure that I'm very old, but um, might have been considered in that context. So Zechariah was one of many priests who served in the main temple in Jerusalem at that time. And so 
what we have left of that temple is the Western Wall. Sometimes it's called the Wailing Wall um, that you can go see today. And so that temple was like the center of religious activity and life in Jerusalem at that time. And so one day Zechariah was there and his division of priests was on duty that day. And it says that he was chosen by lot, which was um, the custom of the priesthood at that time to draw lots to see whose turn it would be to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense on the altar of incense. And so he drew the, the short straw, or maybe you might say the long straw, because I think it's something they wanted, not something they were avoiding. But he drew the lot that day. And then when the time for the burning of that incense came, says so all of the worshipers came and they were assembling outside of the space and they were praying. Okay, I'm gonna copy and paste. This is from Luke chapter one into the chat here. It says, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You're to call him John. He'll be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. And then the angel went on at that point to say a whole lot of good things about John and who he will be. And then the angel ends with, he will make a people prepared for the Lord. He will make a ready a people prepared for the Lord. And then Zechariah asks the angel, he says, well, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. And so the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and unable to speak until this happens because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And so as all of this is happening in the temple, it says that the people or the congregation were outside and they were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering what was going on um, because he had been gone for so long in the sanctuary. And so they were growing a little bit restless and they were talking amongst each other. And then when he came out and they realized that he wasn't able to speak, um, they realized that he must have seen something. He'd had some kind of vision in there. and so said that he continued on without being able to talk and he was just using sign language to try and communicate with them what had happened. And then after that day had happened, he went back home to be with his wife, Elizabeth. Now we notice just from the beginning of the story here, Zachariah must have desired children at some point in his younger years, right? Because the angel had said, don't be afraid, Zachariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth will bear a son. And so that seems to have been a prayer that they had prayed together or maybe a prayer that he had just prayed. And because they had waited and hoped then for something that seemed like it probably wouldn't come true for them, Zechariah reacted how I think most of us would probably react to an angel saying that this was going to happen. He reacts with astonishment. He says, do you expect me to believe this? I'm an old man and my wife is an old woman. And the response of this angel to the disbelief was to, you know, just like pick up the, the remote control and hit the mute button on Zechariah. And so I was reading through this story a couple of weeks ago, and I was just trying to pay attention to how I felt about different parts of the story as I was reading it. And I noticed that I was really bothered by the idea 
that just because Zechariah expressed some doubt about what this angel had said to him, that he was effectively silenced, right? Literally and figuratively. And that's what some of the commentaries um, say about this passage. You know, it's kind of like a, they look at this and they say it's a little bit of like a beware. Like if you express doubt about the word of the Lord, you might suffer punishment. But for me, I think that that doesn't really mesh with the overall spirit of scripture as I understand it. Um, I think scripture gives more than ample voice to doubt, to disbelief, and I think it invites us to do the same. Um, if you read through the Psalms, if you read through like the whole of Ecclesiastes, which is one of my favorite books, there's lots of other stories that just show reams and reams of human dissent and, and sort of dissatisfaction and being able to say that, right? Even Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, right? Just like up there on the cross, like, where the heck are you? You know, what, what are you even doing right now? And so I was trying to figure out like, okay, was there another way maybe into this? Because I think at first glance, this, the silencing of Zechariah can seem a little bit punitive. And I started to wonder if maybe we could read the angel's words more as an invitation, right? That the content of Gabriel's message is about the fulfillment of God's word, right? That, that's that's where, a, where Gabriel's going with it. And that is a theme that runs consistently through scripture, this idea that God honors their own words, right? That God is faithful to the things that they promise to do. Like if they say they're gonna do something, they will, even if that takes generations for that promise to manifest, right? That seems to be an important thing that scripture is communicating. And so what I might suggest is that Zechariah's silence um, is about like giving a definitive, like hard to argue with sign that what the angel is saying is true and will come to pass, right? And the angel says, you'll be unable to say a word until the day of your son's birth, every word I've spoken to you will come true in time, right? Those two things are connected. And so perhaps the silence is meant to beckon Zechariah into a time of holy reflection. Like the angel's like, look, Zechariah, dude, just sit with this a while. You'll have better understanding. And here's some proof to you, this conversation actually took place. Okay, so. In the time of silence um, in which Zechariah wasn't able to speak, I think something does change within him. And the scripture doesn't tell us about those months between him losing his voice and about him regaining it. But I think we're still invited to wonder, right? What, what happened in Zechariah? Um, what happened between Zechariah and God in that time? And what turned Zechariah from being a person whose initial response was to, to balk at this messenger um, into one who, you know, just like offered a song of praise and freedom later in the story when he's able to speak again. So in our lives, I think also God often can work deeply in moments and seasons when we're able to just rest in the quietness um, of their presence and of their love. And I think that's part of the rhythm of Advent, right? It's about quieting our minds and our bodies. It's about quieting our voices as we nestle into this time of darkness of early winter. Because I think while words can be a, you know, a really beautiful form of communication with God, I know some of you, it, it depends on your prayer style. Some people just 
talk with God all day, and that can be a really beautiful and helpful mode of praying. Um, there are times when words can also be distractions. And I think that our words like Zacharias can sometimes manifest our own limits of what we can imagine or what we can hope for in a situation. While sometimes silence can make more room for the fullness of God um, and for God's imagination to start to work within us. Does that make sense? Like kind of outside the box, it makes a little bit more space outside of sort of the words that our, our own language inside can form for our imagination. And so I think sometimes, um, especially in really maybe complicated situations with family or work, or if you're in a time of just sort of deep doubt or a place um, where you've been feeling a little more despair, that sometimes, sometimes those things can just be best submerged in silence with God for a season, not to kill them off or to ignore them, but to just sort of let them sort of ferment there and test their validity with time. This idea that reverence and holy silence um, are appropriate in the face of mystery is, is found throughout the Bible. It's one of my personal favorite themes. There's many places that scripture points us to holy silence in the face of the mystery of God. I'm going to put a couple of them in the chat. This is my all-time favorite verse, personally, that I meditate on a lot. The Lord is in his holy temple let all the earth be silent before him, or I usually update it to the Lord is in their holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before them. Another one is be silent before the sovereign for the day of the Lord is near from Zephaniah or just the very well-known one, be still and know that I am God. Right, so those are ones that I would invite you to sit in the silence, to sit in. I like awe, Deb says. That was uh it's actually another sermon that I was going to give. Silence, awe, med meditation, um, just kind of making space for the spirit in there. Um, there's actually a story in this Advent book that I read that I thought offers us maybe a helpful picture of what I might call productive silence. And it's a story about the meadow vole. So if you're if you're not like a Midwesterner, you might not know what a vole is, but it's a, it's a type of rodent that oh, I think we have some in our yard that make, they, Rachel just laughed from the uh, from the couch because they, they kind of make a mess of our yard actually in the summertime, but I know that we have them here. Um, there are parts of Michigan that are almost perpetually covered in snow in the winter because of lake effect snow, not usually here in Southeast Michigan, but usually the West where the author of this book is from um, and often the, the Northern part. And so, if you can imagine in the winter that there are large fields or large meadows with just drifts of snow that cover them and they don't melt for months on end. And if you've ever walked in a snowy place like that, you know that there, you know, there's a certain kind of silence that's in that space, especially if it's cold enough where even like the creeks are frozen and you don't even get a whole lot of water running and you know, the snow kind of just muffles a lot of sound. There's just like a, it's like putting a damper on things as you walk and mostly you're just hearing your own footsteps. But if you're looking out over those meadows that are filled with snow, underneath there's often a lot that's going on, especially if there's voles around. So meadow voles create labyrinths underneath the snow and they make just a maze of tunnels and they go from different places. They've got these nests 
Um, and then they've got these kind of communal toilet areas. They've got feeding sites. Um, they've got little places where they can escape or get in and out. And then they, they get together and they stay warm in the sort of the packed snow with their neighbors. Voles are not always that friendly, but in times of winter and silence and under the snow, they pack in together for the warmth and they lean into that community. And then the snow hides them from their predators, right? So there's a certain hiddenness to it. And I find it helpful to think about that picture or meditate on it. Um, this idea that there's this whole network of life and activity that's sort of taking place in the underneath. And when we create moments to sit in silence with the divine, I think it can sometimes look like not much is happening if we're just kind of sitting there but that maybe underneath that silence, there is this hidden activity that's going on. It's just surviving. Some of it is you just figuring things out with the divine. And so this Advent, I just want to suggest that we might see whether God is inviting us to enter more deeply into times of silence like this, even if it's just stealing a moment or two here and there. Maybe it's your drive to work. It's often dark this time of year when you drive to work. Um, maybe it's just a moment outside watching the squirrels or stealing a moment outside before bed and just sitting there with the knowledge that you know God's power exceeds our own ability sometimes to name or to capture or to control the events in our lives. And so I know I find that sometimes when um, there's something particularly distressing that's going on in my life that's out of my control, that sometimes just praying through silence has been really helpful to me. And so I go back again and again to a, a Quaker prayer practice that if you've been around Blue Ocean Oil, you've probably heard me talk about this and I've offered it in our meditation before. Um, we'll do that this morning. And in this, this Quaker practice, what you do is you just hold your hands out in front of you and then you just picture yourself holding various people in your hands before God, right? And you just imagine them there before the divine light Sometimes I'll just be like, God, turn your face toward this person um, and then just not say anything for a minute, for two minutes, but just picture God's light and love enveloping this person. Or if it's a situation where you're like, you know, I'm not even a place where I can wish God's light and love on this person. Um, sometimes, this is my, my very human confession here, sometimes I'll just kind of like, almost like toss them to God and be like, here, this one's for you. Right. And it's just a sort of act of recognizing the lack of control in some situations and um, recognizing God's care um, and attention to these things, sometimes even when they're too much for us. And so for our time of guided meditation this morning, I invite you um, to do that if you would like. And so what we'll do is we'll just get ourselves comfortable, take a couple deep breaths, be present in your body. Just notice either the, the chair, the couch, or the ground beneath you. Relax your neck, jaw muscles. And then we'll just hold our hands before God. And if there's anyone that you would like to just hold in silence or prayer or a situation, we'll just do that right now. And we'll spend about a minute doing that. And then I'll close us with some prayer.
So Jesus, as we move into this Advent season, we ask that in the silence and in the darkness, as we practice with hope, waiting for you to show up, we ask that you would um, just birth compassion, birth awe and wonder, um, birth empathy, Help our hearts to have an imagination for how you can move outside of what our human imaginations can sometimes think of or hope for. We ask that we would experience your presence even in the hiddenness of the darkness and that we can look forward with anticipation to the fullness of your coming as we celebrate later on this next month with the birth of your son. Spirit be with us in this coming week. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for God being with us. Amen.